Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. so good to see all of you. I hope you're doing well. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. Today we continue in our series, our Christmas series that we've entitled, You're Invited. Invited. So, so far what we've done is we've looked at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, Jesus' adopted father, the shepherds, and today we're going to conclude this series by looking at the Magi, or what we call the wise men. So at this time, church, I would like to invite all of you to get out your Bibles, or maybe you have a Bible app and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1. That's where we're going to pick up, and we're just going to kind of walk through this whole passage. So um, as I've already said, we're looking at the wise men. Now, Before we get to the wise men, um, I want to talk about something. It's going to be helpful as we get to the actual text, but I want to discuss this thing um, that we're all really aware of. It is this thing that we call the nativity scene, right? The nativity scene. The nativity scene is um, really popular this time of year. You can uh, drive down the road. You can see it in people's lawns. You go in someone's house. You can see it in their house. Sometimes... You can see them under the tree. I have even been told, I have not confirmed this, but I've been told they even have something called a live nativity scene. Have, have any of you been to a live nativity scene? Anybody? There's a, okay, so it does exist. I've never done that. I've never seen it. I understand if you have um, enough money, you can even get a camel or something like that. I don't know. But, but in the end, here's the reason why we're going to talk about the nativity. We're beginning by talking about the, the nativity scene is... It doesn't matter if you have a live nativity scene. It doesn't matter if you have a small nativity scene or a large nativity scene out in your lawn. Every nativity scene the world over has some common elements in it. You remove one of those common elements of it and you will look at it and you will say, that doesn't look like a nativity scene. Something is missing. So um, every nativity scene that I've ever seen, you've got Jesus and Mary you got baby Jesus, you got shepherds, you got animals. Now, the animals may vary some, but you got some form of animals. You got this star on top. And then in every nativity scene, there's another element. And this element's kind of strange, and it's really kind of out of place. Because when you look at all of these nativity scenes, you're going to look towards the back, and you're going to see, I don't care where you are, you're going to see these three guys hanging out holding gifts. And that's what we call the wise men. These, they all, every, 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 every nativity scene has those three guys. Now, I say that this is odd for several reasons. We're going to get into this in a moment, but just real briefly, I'll let you know in advance. First of all, the wise men, 
If you read the passage of the incarnation, the wise men were not present at the birth of Jesus. They're not there. We're going to see that in a moment. Second thing is this. We don't know how many wise men there were. All we know is that there's two or more, right? So you can read the, 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 the passage, right? You read the passage of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, and then you look at the nativity scene and you go, I don't know. It's not matching up. And here's where we got to be careful. We got to be careful that we don't allow these symbols, these scenes that we see so often to push into the text. We want the Bible to stand on itself. You see, the Bible's not supported by the nativity scene. The nativity scene has to bow to God's holy word, and so that's what we're going to see. But we do know this about the wise men, all right? We know that they were guided by God from a great distance for the sole purpose of worshiping Jesus. That's what we're going to concentrate on today. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see the wise men's invitation to worship, to worship the living God. So, Let's just, let's just jump in. Chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to begin by looking at the Magi arrive, or it's the wise men. The Magi, wise men, they arrive. I'm going to read these first two verses, and if this is your first time here after I read them, we're going to kind of walk through them and kind of let it sit on us. Um, verse 1, here's what the Word of God says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, it means pay attention, this is important, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come, here we go, to what? Worship him. And that's the point of their journey. That's what they've come to do. All right. Before we unpack these two verses, I want to briefly go back to how I begin. I want to kind of detangle this text from the nativity scene, because I might have just um, said a few things that you hadn't heard before, but I, I want to show in the, in the scripture that these wise men were not there at the birth of Christ. Um, notice real quickly, first, first five words, first five words, um, now after Jesus was born, you get that word after, you got your Bible, you can circle it, and you can underline it after. After's a really simple word. We seem to always know what after means, except for when we come to this text, we don't quite understand. The word after means a time period that follows an event. That's what it means, right? Later than the event. What's the event? The event in our text is the birth of Jesus. So you break it down, and we are told that after Jesus was born... That is when they arrived. We don't know exactly how long after. But there is, if you look at the text, if you read the Bible, we do have some clues. All right, We're going to get to this in a moment. We're not going to get there now. But in verse 11, when the magi, the wise men arrive, okay, they arrive, we are told that they come to a house. All right, We're told they come to a house. They're no longer homeless, right? And then we're told that the wise men, they call Jesus a child. Child. The word in Greek is padion. It's not the word used for an infant. So in other words, when the magi arrive, they are in a house and he's no longer an infant. In addition, I really want you to see this. This is important. I want you to understand what's going on. We cannot allow a nativity scene to push into overrule or distort the word of God. 
you get to uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 24, all right? You got Mary, you got Joseph, they're taking Jesus to the temple to do the ceremony of purification, okay? Now, we are told that when they get there, they offer a pair of turtle doves and young pigeons. That's their offering. Now, that's problematic because the scripture says you're to give a lamb, all right? But if you did not have enough money, if you were poor, then you could give turtle doves or two young pigeons. So evidently, at the time of the purification that comes after, um, months after, several months after the birth, they were poor. That indicates to us that the wise men have not yet visited them. Because when the wise men visit them, they give them some gifts, and at that point, they would have some resources. So at the time of, the, of, of, the, of, the, of this dedication, this purification, they had no money. So once again, we're getting the implication here that the wise men, at a very minimum, come two to three months after the birth of Jesus Christ. In addition, I alluded to this. I want to show this to you. We do not know how many wise men there were. We don't. All we know is two or more. You say, how do we know that? How do we know? The word magi is plural. It means two or more wise men. If it was one magi, it would be called magos. The word's magos. One, magos, two or more magi. We got the word magi. So all we know is there's two or more. There could have been 10 there could have been 50, we don't know. There could have been an army of wise men. We don't know. It's not there. We know they have three gifts, but we don't know. We don't know, all right? So my goal there was just to continue to detangle the nativity scene from the scripture because, now we're going to get into the scripture, because in the two verses I just read to you, and I want to be lost on us, the Bible tells us about three things for the very first time. So we miss this sometimes, but in those two verses, there's three things that have never been mentioned before in Scripture. So I want to walk through them. It's going to tell us a lot. First thing, you can follow along in your outline, but the first thing is Herod the king. Herod the king. Who's Herod? Um... Just um, maybe a spoiler alert. He's a bad dude. He is a really bad guy. He's known as the great, even though he was not that great. There's several other Herods mentioned in the New Testament. But you don't need to learn about how evil he was from the Bible. You can go straight to history books. Here's some few historical facts about this joker. He was incredibly jealous, suspicious. He was afraid for his power, fearing that someone might take his power, he had the high priest drowned. He drowned the high priest, then he does this number. He goes out and makes this magnificent funeral for the high priest that he had drowned, and he pretends to weep. He had his wife killed, he had his mother killed, he had two of his sons killed, and five days before he died, he had his third son killed. Right before he died, he did this number. This is what the man did. You can read about it. He has all the prominent people in Jerusalem arrested. And he gives this command. When I die, the day I die, I want you to kill every one of them. Because I know that when I die, no one's going to cry. And I want to assure that the day of my death, that there are people mourning in this city. He's a bad dude. He's a bad dude. And you read, you read, you read in Matthew as well. What does he do? He commits, he commits mass murder. 
he kills every child two years and younger in the city of Bethlehem trying to kill Jesus. Bad guy. Absolutely bad guy. All right? First time we hear about him. Second thing we hear about really for the very first time in Scripture are magi from the east. All right? Magi from the east. They're kind of new here. Um, in the Bible, they are. We're not told anything after that. And um, you can look at church history, and we have <laughs> the church, we have a history of really making a lot of these guys. There's all this stories around them. They even have names. Do, 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 does anyone here know any of the names of the wise men, theoretically? Um, there's Melchior. He's the king of Persia. All right. I once had a friend named Melchior. I did not know where he got it, but that's it. One was named Gaspar, the king of India. One is Belhazar, the king of Arabia. I mean, that's not Bible. It's not Bible. It's not Bible. But there's churches and there's shrines dedicated to these men. But what is so important is that we stick to Scripture. we got to stick to Scripture, all right? Here's what the Bible says about them, all right? The Bible does not tell us their number. The Bible does not tell us their name. The Bible does not tell us their transportation. I know, I know, we got camels, right? Well, the Bible does not say, right? We don't know what country they came from. All we're told is they come from the east. So, let's do this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but using the Bible, could, can we reasonably determine who they are? I think we can. I think we can. I want to read to you Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. That's Old Testament. Here's what Daniel chapter 2, verse 48 says. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Babylon is in the east and chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. All right? So we see in the Old Testament, you got Daniel, the wisest man ever to reside in the East, training and set up over other wise men. Could it be that these wise men were just people who have come from the, 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 this, this, this group of wise men founded by Daniel? Could it be? Could it be that these wise men read their Bible? Could it be that these wise men are so wise that they take the Bible seriously and when they read the book of Daniel, they understand that a Messiah is supposed to come? Could it be that these men worship the living God? I submit to you that that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at men who love the Bible, love God. Oh, by the way, by the way, you cannot be wise according to the Bible unless you fear the Lord. Right, uh, Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is an impossibility to be wise, be declared wise by the Bible, and not fear the living God. I submit to you that these guys are some Jesus-loving, God-honoring, Bible-reading worshipers of the living God. That's what, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, by the way, they're not kings. There's not, they're not kings. We're never told they're kings. Great song. By, that is a tremendous song. Not kings. They're not kings, once again. All right? So that's what we know. These are, these, these are some people who love the living God. Third thing in that verse that's new, that's not in the Bible, really we haven't seen, is the star above. Now, that's kind of curious, right? It's curious. At Christmas, <laughs> man, you drive around, you got stars everywhere, man. 
You got stars on houses, stars on trees. I mean, man, people put stars on their car, man. There's stars everywhere. We do not know what to do with this star. And the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail. It doesn't. There's no need to make up a lot. Some people will say it's a planet, it's a meteor, it's a comet. I personally have problems with all of that. I need no natural thing to explain something supernatural. I don't. I don't go around looking for something natural to explain God. God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. But um, my understanding, the way I would take this is I believe it's much like the shepherds. This is the glory, the doxa of the living God. I think that's what we're meant to see here. But in the end, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what this star was. It doesn't. What matters is how the, the, the wise men responded. That's what's important. We need not sit there and debate what caused this, what it was. What I'm concerned with is how they responded. And how did they respond? They took great effort to worship Jesus. That's what we're to see. They came to worship. All right. We got those two verses. We're going to get into verse 3. And we're going to get kind of a, a scene shift. All right, verse 3, we're going to see the king agitates. The king agitates, Herod the Great. I've always thought this when I'm reading history. Any person who likes to, you know, add the word the great to their name is probably not great. And it could not ring truer than for this guy. But um, so these wise men, they travel a long ways. They've been reading the Bible. And they believe and worship the living God. And um, they come into Jerusalem. They get into Jerusalem. This is the picture painted and they start asking a crazy question. They start asking, hey, where's the king? Where's the king of the Jews? Where's the king? That's what, where is, where is he been? He's been born. Where is he? And it appears it's a strange question in Jerusalem. But I can imagine these wise men were surprised that the people in Jerusalem didn't already know. Like They're like, hey, listen, we live far away. We read the Bible. We take the Bible seriously. This is Jerusalem. You guys are supposed to take the Bible really seriously, yet we arrive and none of you are aware of this? None of you are looking for this? How could it be? How could it be that we know? They assumed everybody knew, but quite clearly, no one did. So let's get to verse 3. They show up. When Herod the king heard this, we're going to talk about this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, here you go, little tricky Herod, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Remember, I've already told you that uh, Herod had uh, the chief priest drowned and then pretended like he was sad, and he's got a plan here as well. There's a lot of things going on here, but I've mentioned it kind of. I want us to pay specific attention to this word, troubled. It's an interesting word. We're told that Herod heard the greatest news ever told, that the Christ had been born, and it troubled him. 
it says it troubled all of Jerusalem. The Greek word is tarasso. It means to agitate, to disturb, to stir up, to cause an inward commotion. In other words, King Herod hears the greatest news in the world. Instead of bringing great joy to him, the result is he is troubled. Why? Why? It's interesting. It's interesting that the news that's to be great joy troubles this man. And here's what I found to be true. Jesus is indeed troubling for people who do not want to worship him. He is. In this text, we see two types of people who do not want to worship him. And I submit to you, you will still find them today. I will submit to you that before I knew him, I would probably fall in one of these categories as well. Before he saved me, before a man stood before me and shared the gospel. First group of people, those who are indifferent. Now, there's, there's guys who are indifferent. This group is represented by the chief priests and scribes, all right? I mean, check it out. When we read the text, check it out, check it out. They're not ignorant. They're not ignorant at all. They ask a question, they go to the Bible, and, and they say, hey, look, the Bible says the Christ is to be born here. But guess what? They did not care. They didn't care. They didn't care. They go back to their religiosity, right? They don't care. They're indifferent. Once again, I would say you can see that today. I might even submit to you, perhaps there's some here today who are likewise indifferent. They may attend church may sit in seats. They may have a head knowledge, but in the end, they are indifferent. That's one group. But then you get this other group, those who are hostile. Those who are hostile. Um, those who are hostile are kind of represented by King Herod here, right? He's hostile, right? He's afraid. He's stirred up. He's troubled. He's agitated. If Jesus is God, Herod would have to reason that means he's not God. Right? If Jesus is God, it means there's a right and a wrong. If Jesus is God, it means there is account to be given. Troubles him. So much so that he becomes hostile. And then you read, as we talked about later on, he's going to kill every child two years and younger in the town of Bethlehem just to get rid of, get rid of Jesus. I would submit to you that, once again, you will find that today. You will find that when you tell people lovingly about Jesus, some will respond indifferently and some will respond with hostility. God will save some. He will. Some will get saved. Some will hear and get saved, but not all. Um, sometimes I have um, someone come to my office or talk to me, and, and, and I understand what they're saying, but they'll say something like this. You know, Travis, man, I started sharing the gospel lovingly at work. And as a result, people are hostile towards me, and I've been ostracized. My reply is, sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens. You need not be surprised. Sometimes that does happen. Nonetheless, it happened 2,000 years ago. It's still happening today. Now, 
the scene is going to shift once again in verse 9, and we're going to see the Magi adore. And this is where the story has been leading. This is the pinnacle of this story. Verse 9, after listening to the king, so the Magi, the wise men, listened to King Herod. They went on their way, and behold, behold's a great word. It's like, listen to this. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. The star that they had seen when it rose, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, come on, guys, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So they proceed to Bethlehem. Evidently, they don't, all they know is the city. It's in Bethlehem. And as they're proceeding, as they're seeking, as they're going, this star reappears. And notice, it says it kind of in a quadruple way. It says, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, now, now I, I thought about this. You know, when I was in college, if I would have written a sentence like that, my professor would have said, that's a bad sentence. Because I just said the same thing four times in four different ways, right? And they'll say, that's, an, that's, that's not a good sentence. That's not the way we speak. But nonetheless, that's what's happening here. It's as though the writer of the gospel here is struggling to find sufficient words in order to describe the glory, that, the, the, the joy that these men have. It would have been enough to just say they rejoiced. It would have been even better to say, okay, they rejoiced with joy. It would have been astounding just to say they rejoiced with great joy, but it doesn't say any of that. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Well, what in the world is all this joy about? They were going to worship Jesus. That's what it's about. And I thought about this. Do I rejoice exceedingly with great joy when I'm headed to church to worship Jesus? Wise men do. Wise men do. We're told right here, wise men do. But I don't know. Do I? So it made me write, I don't know I write goofy things, but I, I wrote this inversely. Fools do not rejoice exceedingly with great joy to worship Jesus. That's inversely, right? But the wise do rejoice exceedingly with great joy to worship Jesus. And then we get to verse 11, and it is the apex. Check it out. And going into the house, I mentioned that earlier, they're now in a house. They saw the child, once again, not an infant, they see a child, with Mary, his mother. Look what they do, church. They fall down. That's on their face. And they worship him. That's an appropriate response. Then opening their treasures, they offered gifts, gold, frankincense, and Myrrh. So they come into the presence of the living God incarnate. They fall. They do two things. Look, first, I have this in your outline. They worshiped him. They worshiped him. 
Church, I would say that is the end goal of all things, to worship Jesus. That is God's great goal in all things, that his son be known and worshiped. The supremacy of Christ in all things and among all people. You and I were created to worship him and enjoy him forever. Church, I submit to you that when you worship him, you are doing the very thing you were created to do. And that is what these men do. And then after they worship him, they do something else. They offered gifts. Actually, I wish I would have said it differently. They don't offer gifts. They offer treasures, things of exceeding great value, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here's my question. What are we to make of this? What are we to make of this? I mean, was Jesus in need? Was this something that he was needful of? No, we know that's not true. Acts 17.25 says that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. God did not need gold, frankincense, or myrrh. He's not needful. A God in need is not a God at all. The Magi were not giving these gifts as way of assistance. They weren't there to meet a need. All right, then what are they doing? Why are they doing this? I would say in the text, as you're reading it, you would see clearly that these are acts of worship. These are acts of worship. I say this, I think, almost every single week. But when we take up our tithes and offering, it is part of our worship. It is. I run into people, I understand what they're saying, I run into some and they will say, you know, at church, I love to worship God by what? Singing. That's an appropriate way to worship God. It is. I I do too. Some will say my favorite part of the worship is when we open the word of God and we study. Me too. Me too. I, I like that. I love that. I love that. Very few people come up to me and say my favorite part of worship is giving my tithes and my offering. But I submit to you, and I've said this over and over again, that too is worship. It is an intensifier. That's what I would say. It's an intensifier. These gifts that we give are an intensifier. We're saying, God, Jesus, this gift that I give you, I'm giving it to you, and it intensifies the joy because I'm not seeking joy in these things, and I'm not coming to you so that you will give me more of these things. I'm coming to you because I love you, and I'm here to get more of you, worship you, exalt you, and my gifts are a way of intensifying this desire of worship. I am demonstrating practically my love for you earnestly and we we see that so i would say these gifts are an expression of our worship and they are and that's what we see men who lived in the east i know not where it's interesting is there was this conception that only the Jews in Jerusalem were worshiping, but no, these godly men reading their Bible, loving the living God, they learn from a star, from God, that Christ has come. They travel a very long way, and they bring really expensive gifts, 
By the way, we don't know if these were wealthy men at all. But they brought a wealthy gift. They find the king, and when they see this Savior, they do the appropriate thing. They fall on their face, and they give him treasures. So we see they worship God. They offered gifts to God. They made great efforts to do both. My prayer is that we too would be a people who do the same. This Monday at 4 p.m., we are having our Christmas Eve service, candlelight service. And like we've been studying these last four weeks, everybody in the Christmas incarnation was invited by God to take part in what God was doing. And we have been asking that you too would invite, that you would invite those to come on Christmas Eve to the candlelight service at four. And we're going to talk about Jesus. And it is our prayer that God will save many. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.